uh, Colton Stomwell with the Inspire Podcast, and we are extremely excited about today's guest. Um, we are honored and humbled and happy to have Sunita Lanta with us, who is currently the Global Marketing Chief for HP's new disruptive 3D printing and digital marketing business. Uh, with almost two decades of experience focusing on new disruptive technologies that are enabling digital transformation in various industries, her expansive experience spans both new high-growth businesses with Fortune 100 global companies, such as HP, Siemens, PG&E, and venture-backed Silicon Valley companies. Uh, outside of work, Sunita is passionate about advancing more women in technology and increasing cro global cross-border collaborations between the U.S., and emerging companies. Her work and thought leadership have been recognized by the White House, the US State Department, the government of Indonesia, and published by the World Economic Forum, Forbes, CNN, Bloomberg, and many others. Sunita is a notable MIT Women alumna and an inductee into the National Asian American Hall of Fame, as well as most recently, the Women in Manufacturing's inaugural Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame class. Sunita, Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, and we appreciate you being with us. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me here today, guys. Uh, very excited to have the conversation and really looking forward. So thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the, uh, the resume and list of accomplishments speaks for itself, Sunita. Um, but we always like to dive into kind of how things get started and how people get started. Uh, in the world of industrial marketing and technology. Um, and I think the first question that we really love to dive into is how did you get started with this most recent post on the 3D printing and digital marketing side? Uh, it's a fascinating industry and, and what drew you to it? Okay, great question, Colton. So yeah, I think as I look back uh, at my career, it wasn't always clear which industry or which functional area I wanted to focus on. And I actually tried many things, you know, right after college, uh, I graduated during the first kind of dot-com uh, boom years in the Bay Area. And I started a company, believe it or not, with two of my classmates, an online game company, did that for a couple of years and sold it to a larger competitor. And then after that, I worked in several software companies here in Silicon Valley. And then it came time for me to go to graduate school. So I always wanted to go to graduate school. It was just a matter of when instead of uh, if. And so I went. And I think it was really in graduate school that I started to develop a few guiding principles. The first, I started realizing that I love this intersection of new technology, a little bit of new business models, even a little bit of policy. And then the second, I realized I wanted to work in an area that's contributing something more to society rather than just selling a product. And so after graduate school, even though it still wasn't kind of clear cut which industry or functional area, definitely just leveraging these two guiding principles, I kind of like, you know, went through my journey, right? So looking back, the past 15 years have been focusing mainly on industrial IoT sector and in enabling digital transformation, primarily in the infrastructure and energy sector and I've done this, you know, as you mentioned, Colton, both within new growth businesses within Fortune 100, but also with Silicon Valley uh, venture-backed companies. And it was when I was at Siemens, uh, focusing on their new digital business about two and a half years ago, I got the call from HP and um, HP just, you know, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, we have this opportunity. 
Uh, we have a new business, it's exciting, high growth, uh, disruptive, and we're looking for uh, the, uh, someone to head our global marketing. And so even though I wasn't from the 3D printing industry, I you know, saw the opportunity as an attractive because I saw a parallel between enabling digital transformation within infrastructure, with industrial IoT, and enabling digital transformation in manufacturing with 3D printing and digital manufacturing. And so here I am, I've been at HP about two and a half years now. Uh, it sounds, depending on your perspective, can be long, can be short, but I would have to say that the past two and a half years have been very fascinating journey. Yeah, no, and, and I can only imagine, like you think about, I think you, you hit on something really powerful there is, is you wanted to look at a way to use your tech acumen that you had built in a way that would really help society. You know, and manufacturing is so pervasive, whether we think about it every day or not, like everything that you touch or see has to be manufactured. So like at intersection, like in the, the ability to make such a massive impact with a new technology, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, exactly. So what are in, in industrial 3D printing specifically, what are the trends that you see that are really requiring manufacturers to adapt these new technologies, you know, and kind of make them part of their operations. You know, what are what are maybe the macroeconomic forces at play or even the societal benefits that you're seeing? Great. Yeah, another great question, Colton. Actually, the way I would answer that is by taking a step back to look at some of the big trends that are going on in manufacturing. So when I take a step back, I think there are a few trends, you know, let's say three trends going on in manufacturing today that create both challenges and opportunities for manufacturers. So let's talk about each of those uh, one by one. The first one is the trend towards decentralization. So basically I see trends these days in manufacturing where manufacturing are becoming more decentralized, more distributed and closer to where the demands are requiring manufacturers to be, to be able to be more agile and to create things on demand. And then the second uh, trend that's also going on, I think is what I would call democratization or personalization, that there is also increasing demand for, from both customers and end consumers to require products and services that are more customized and personalized towards their needs. And then the last one is what I would call decarbonization or sustainability, where manufacturers are always looking for ways to be more energy efficient, to be more resource efficient in order to achieve improved sustainability. And so when you take a step back, I think all of these trends are creating challenges for manufacturers because they have to adapt not only their processes, and as we all know, manufacturing processes have been established for a very long time, but they have to adapt that. But along with that, they also have to adapt that their human capital, the skill sets, you know, the way they do business, the way they organize, the way they train their people, but as they say, with every challenge, so while these all create challenges, there are opportunities and especially opportunities for manufacturers who want to get ahead of all this change by adopting new technologies such as 3D printing or digital manufacturing in order to be more agile and more nimble so that they can not only tackle the challenges, but actually turn these challenges into opportunities and you know, uh, achieve improved operational efficiencies um, deliver superior customer experience for their end consumers. And last but not least, for the most sophisticated, 
be able to create new business models and new revenue streams. Uh, absolutely. Like you think about that and some of the things you hit on there, you know, faster lead times, right? Happier customers, more operational efficiency, mm-hmm. happy stakeholders, and, and the environmental benefits you described, happy world. So like that, that alignment, again, it all goes back to like, how do you apply technology to, to benefit society? Three great reasons right there. Mm-hmm. You know? so that's, that's incredible. So, you know, how are you seeing companies approach the implementation here? Like you said, with every challenge is the opportunity. So how are manufacturers seizing this opportunity in your experience and expertise? Another great question, Colton. Yeah, I think uh, when, when, when I look back at just the landscape, you know, of the industry and customers, I think every company is at a different maturity level with regard to their adoption of new technologies, including 3D printing and digital manufacturing. So when you look at it, some may have no experience whatsoever, don't know anything about it. And then there are others who may have experimented with it, may even have some departments within their companies that have some champions that have actually adopted these technologies for some small applications. And then still others who are usually the most sophisticated have been able to actually um, uh, adopt these new technologies at a much more integrated and strategic level and transform their industries, disrupt industries, create new business models and new revenue streams. So if, if you look at the landscape, there is really no one size fits all because you know every company has different priorities, different budgets, different maturity level. But the point is, I think for companies like HP as a solutions provider, what's important for us is actually to partner with our customers so that they view us as a trusted partner and we can grow with them throughout their digital manufacturing journey and really go through the journey together. And I think uh, one of the things we have noticed, you know, like um, at least for me in, in this two and a half years, I've noticed that, you know, there are certain applications that makes more, most, uh, more business sense to be 3D printed. At the end of the day, it all depends on the business objectives, right? Because uh, let's be honest, no one will adopt new technology just because it's cool. Probably the early adopters would do that, but at the end of the day, it has to deliver economic benefits, business benefits. And so uh, the types of applications that seem to be a very good fit, product market fit for 3D printing is those that require mass customization or personalization, which basically means each product that you produce is slightly different than the next one. So there are some examples about this, like the dental dental aligners, because it has to be customized to fit your teeth, right? Everyone's teeth is different. Uh, Customized shoes, uh, customized orthotics and prosthetics, uh, customized eyeglasses, those kind of things seem to be a very good fit for 3D printing. Absolutely. Yeah, and then additionally, Colton, we've also noticed that it seems that it's easier for companies who I would call digital native So usually well-capitalized startups, they're startups, but very well-capitalized and they don't have any legacy systems that they have to deal with. In those instances, once they find the right applications with the right product market fit, it seems they can scale uh, the adoption much faster. So we have one example uh, with a customer uh, called Smile Direct Club, which is a dental liner company. I would categorize them as a digital native. But at the same time, we're also working with other, you know, large enterprise customers who are more uh, traditional. They also want to go through digital uh, transformation, but it's more of an evolution for them 
rather than a revolution because they have legacy systems and they have to think of how they're going to integrate the new technologies within you know their existing system right and then last but not least i think it's very important to to educate the next generation of leaders to actually design um, product designers to design for 3d printing instead of just for traditional manufacturing and so with that a lot of the solutions providers we also working with universities and um, academia in order to develop curriculums to again prepare the next generation of uh, product designers so that they know how to optimally design for 3D printing. Okay, absolutely. Now, it's really interesting, like that conversion of, of personalized product and what's happening on the personalized medicine front. Maybe not too surprising that a lot of the good use cases were medical device. You know, that uh, it's fascinating. So, you know, for because we have a, a pretty good audience of manufacturers for this specific podcast, and, and it was a little off script, but, you know, I think you hit on this, but I want to make sure that I understand is if I'm a manufacturer, you know, looking to explore this, it being an emerging technology is one of the best ways to get started to align with kind of the, the leaders in this space. And you talked about working closely in partnership and kind of leverage the expertise that maybe a company like HP has invested heavily in and, and kind of built out to learn more about the product. Is that correct? And technology? Yeah, I think it's more partnering about um, finding which applications would make the most business sense to be 3D printed. Because as I mentioned, um, 3D printing, the way I view it, is a tool, it's a tool in the toolbox. Um, it's not the answer for every manufacturing problems, but there are certain uh, specific uh, problems and business objectives that let's say a customer would want to achieve that they can partner with HP to kind of find out, hey, which applications make sense to be 3D printed? What kind of requirements does HP have to work on from a materials perspective, software perspective, kind of the capabilities of our technology in order to better serve that customer uh, for what they're trying to do. So that's what I meant by partnership because depending again on the applications and the maturity level of the customer and also the business objectives, then we can actually partner with them throughout their journey to ensure that they can be successful. Absolutely. yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, you know, when you think about, you know, disruptive technology, you know, I guess disruptions in society often create opportunity there, right? And I'm referencing everything going on in the world, you know, with the, the COVID-19 crisis, and we're all kind of banding together to work through that. How has, has COVID-19 impacted 3D printing and manufacturing and, and how are you seeing, you know, that, I guess, you know, major event kind of changing the landscape of the technology? Mm-hmm. Um, another great question. Yeah, I think, I think the COVID-19 situation really has uh, created both challenges and opportunities for the industry. I think uh, for the whole 3D printing industry, it has really provided, I think, the industry with the watershed moment as different industries, different government institutions are trying to rethink their product innovation, their supply chain network, their manufacturing network and all that. So within that context, I'm actually, you know, pretty humbled and proud to share. I would say in the first, you know, three to four months 
uh, of the pandemic where the supply chain disruption was happening, HP together with our ecosystems of partners and customers, we were actually together able to quickly rally and quickly design and produce uh, many, you know, more than 4 million parts of mission critical applications, things such as personal protective equipments, uh, face shields, face masks, ventilator parts, respirator parts, needle swaps, and so on and so forth. And so from this experience, I think what is uh, important is that we hope that, you know, this watershed moment doesn't just become a dot, you know, in a, in a journey, but it can really help to, I guess, enable the paradigm shift in thinking as more government institutions, more industries are rethink, you know, their product innovation and their manufacturing systems and supply chain network for 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 the new normal. Yeah. Now, absolutely, and well, the, the the name of the podcast is Inspire, so we always look for those inspirational moments and like the application of, of this new, like you know, emerging, but but also in many ways starting to become very established technology to find creative solutions to to problems that are being presented. I mean. That's that's every manufacturer's dream, right? Is is using all their energy to solve real problems and have everybody around in their ecosystem benefit. Um, and really, that it seems like a lot of that ties to creativity, right? And you know that that creativity and and I guess innovation are, are necessary to succeed. You know, in, in any times, especially these. So, what are some of the ways the do you think we can inspire more creativity and innovation in the workplace, whether that's maybe through 3D printing or, or maybe just in general? Yeah, uh, great question. I, I, I would say there is no set template, I think, to inspire creativity and innovation, uh, but just based on per- practical experience, I guess, there are a few guiding principles that at least I found helpful uh, to encourage more creativity and innovation in the workplace. Uh, and I can share some of those with you and the audience, Colton. So the first one is to make it fun, you know? Uh, so for instance, on my own team, so we're, we're the marketing team here, but, um, you know, during our quarterly meetings, we usually have a, you know, session where we divided our teams into different groups. And then each of the group went to think of one big idea. And then everyone came back together and presented to the rest of the team kind of like in a Shark Tank style. So, you know, it's fun, it's people people become competitive. And actually it's interesting, there are lots of great ideas coming out of that process. So to make it fun. And then the second actually is to, kind of the opposite of that is actually to make it just part of the everyday life. Because I think some companies, I've seen some companies who think that this innovation and creativity is this big magical thing that is separate from the rest of the company's operations. And sometimes what I found that employees can be very innovative and creative when they're just trying to solve their problems, when they're trying to deliver you know, good experience to the customers, um, you know, be it also during this COVID that they have to be more creative because they have to pivot whatever plans they had before, or they have to achieve more with less because during pandemic, there are less resources, less budget, right? So from this experience, you know, I think you should not discount that uh, creativity and innovation don't happen in everyday lives because sometimes people actually become very creative when they are faced with a problem. And most of the problem is just their everyday problems. 
And then the last one I think is to really mix people with diverse backgrounds and perspectives, people from different industries, people from different disciplines. And even on my own team, uh, Colton, you know, even though we were the marketing team, I actually have people who not only came from creative background, but also people from engineering technical background, people who came from small companies, from you know, new startup within big companies, people with hardware background, software background, services, materials, so on and so forth. But the point is, if you're able to mix people with diverse backgrounds, I think you will be able to then form and leverage what I call value network. And basically what a value network is, um, a network that you create where the interdependencies and interconnectedness of the different members of the network can actually advance and benefit the network as a whole rather than just individual members. And this is kind of like when you realize, you know, they always say the whole is bigger than the sums of its parts. And I think you can really achieve this if you mix people with diverse backgrounds. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that idea, like keeping it fun, making sure that your eyes are always open and you're open to innovation on a daily basis, but then also making sure that you're building this culture that is almost engineered to create a volume of, of great diverse ideas. Like it, I don't know, it's a very difficult concept, but to sum it up in those three points, I, I think there's a lot of really great takeaways there. You know, and, and you know, kind of on that, that idea of, you know, setting maybe yourself and your team up to succeed, you know, and, and again, to go back, congratulations on, on being part of the inaugural Hall of Fame class of, of women in manufacturing. But in your keynote um, during that, you talked about the importance of a growth mindset, you know, especially in today's world. Um, can you share some of those perspectives? And I, I would be surprised if there isn't some overlap with some of the, the great insights you just gave us, but, but can you expand on that growth mindset idea a little bit? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I think the core of growth mindset is really about having the right positive attitude and always looking for ways to improve oneself. And one way that I've seen people uh, have done this successfully is by looking for constructive feedbacks. And actually, Colton, I personally, I have a story, personal story about this. A uh, long time ago, uh, I'm not going to say when, but long time ago, uh, I went, you know, I went to college and I went to a university that, you know, had some, uh, a lot of high achievers, actually, including some classmates who were Olympic athletes. And that was the first time that I, I think I witnessed firsthand kind of growth mindset and in particular, how different people dealt with feedbacks. And so taking a step back, um, I learned and, you know, I, I kind of thought it was just me, but I learned that most people are actually not good with dealing with feedbacks. And actually, most of us are pretty bad at it. And I read a Harvard University study that said feedbacks physiologically trigger three main reactions in human beings. OK, so the first reaction is what they call the truth trigger which is when we get a feedback, our first reaction is to look for what's wrong with the feedback, okay? And then the second um, uh, reaction is the relationship trigger, which is basically uh, how we feel about the feedback is partly determined who's giving us the feedback. Is it someone that we respect or not? Makes sense. But the third one, which is the most important, is how we internalize the feedbacks or how we emotionally, viscerally feel about it is 
primarily determined by the stories that we tell ourselves about the feedbacks, okay? So going back to my Olympic uh, athlete classmates, so do you wanna guess who's the happiest uh, among the gold and the silver and the bronze medalists? I'm gonna guess silver. Okay, actually you're wrong Colton, the happiest is the gold because come on, they just won gold, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but, but what's interesting was the second happiest was actually the bronze and not the silver. And why is that, you may ask? Well, it's all because of their first reaction. It's like what they're telling themselves. Because when you think about it, the first reaction of the silver was, oh God, I just lost the gold. But the first reaction of the bronze was, oh, thank God, I just meddled. So as you can see from this example, it all depends on your perspectives, right? But what I noticed though about these classmates and some of them that are in, 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 in the world out there working you know, as a consultant and all that, is like with these high achievers, regardless of whatever they felt you know, after losing or winning and all that, they kept continuing to look for feedback, wanting to improve themselves, just really like always looking for ways to improve themselves. And so I kind of equate that with having a growth mindset. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that one, I got that one completely wrong. But Sunita, I appreciate your feedback. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that uh, no, that that makes a lot of sense, and I'll kind of invoke something you said earlier. Like with every challenge comes an opportunity. So getting that feedback, like it, in many ways, that's like a, a way to flex your resilience, but to continue to stay open for ways to improve. Yeah. So, and and you know what, Colton, what's interesting? I I I noticed that companies where the human capital is their only asset. So usually consulting companies, because at the end of the day, for consulting companies, they're selling their human, right? That's what they're selling. There is that just looking for feedback culture all the time, you know? Like, I think other companies do that as well, but not as intensely as if you are, if your products are actually your people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, uh, somebody that works, you know, in, in marketing in a, in a consulting context, that's absolutely key because like even the, the, the KPIs and metrics of the company are very much tied to individual and team performance. So that, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a really interesting insight. Um, all right. So maybe we switch gears a little bit. Like you said, we are marketers. We, we do have an audience of marketers. Let's switch gears to marketing. Yes. So, you know, you have both an engineering undergraduate and graduate degree and also an MBA, go Wildcats, by the way. Um, yeah, go Wildcats. <laughs> but uh, what made you choose marketing as your functional area as you kind of advanced your career? Yeah, uh, good, good question. So I think this has something to do with, if you remember, I said, I realized one of the things I love is the intersection of new technologies, enabling new business models and all that. So the kind of marketing, of course, that I've done in the past 15 years, it's not just the classical of what people would think of marketing, but really, I think the kind of marketing that I've done is more about simplifying the complex because, you know, most of the time I'm dealing with emerging technology, be it industrial IoT or today's 3D printing, digital manufacturing, which is a very complex thing. But I really love about simplifying the complex and then translating that into value proposition 
that actually resonate to the customers because I've also found when you work a lot with technologies, especially in the beginning, I think the technologies are focusing more on the products, features and capabilities and all that. And I think people like me, we love to take that and then understanding what are the customer needs and then translating that complexity and simplifying it into value propositions and benefits that resonate with the customer. So that's one reason. And then the second reason, um, I think marketing is also one of those functional areas where you can, you have to work cross-functionally and I'm a people person. And with marketing, you have to be able to lead cross-functionally, not just internally, you know, with the products, with engineering, with sales, customer success and so on and so forth, but also more importantly, externally uh, with the customers, with partners, and in certain cases, not today, but in, in my past work, also with like policymakers and academia and other stakeholders. So, you know, I chose marketing because I felt it's, it's right at the intersection of, you know, uh, what I'm good at and, you know, the things that I love. Absolutely. And that um, I think that's like a great segue into, into the next question we've got for you. So I think you hit on this uh, a bit, but marketing is a very broad discipline, you know, and, and I think if you probably ask 95% of marketers when they're starting their career in marketing, what do you think about going into industrial products? A lot of marketers would probably be like, yeah, I got into this to be more on the advertising side or, you know, I'd like to help sell Coca-Cola. You know, it's very different, right, than I guess maybe what we'd say B2C advertising. No, I think a lot of us would argue that it, it's blending and merging, right? So what uh, what is so so different in marketing and emerging technology like 3D printing and maybe that more traditional advertising-focused marketing that most people think of? Yeah, uh, another great question. And I think you hit the nail um, in the head, uh, Colton, in that not only, you know, 3D printing is an industrial product, but it's also an emerging technology that is still in a category that's not quite as, as, as well established, especially for manufacturing, right? So I think in this kind of world, the marketing is very different uh, from advertising, you know, the, the, the classical Coca-Cola advertising type of things because the customer doesn't even know what the category is. And so with that, I think at least for me, I kind of envision our vision uh, for the marketing team here at HP3D Printing is really uh, at the highest level, it's to position HP to be that trusted solutions partner, right? That go with our customers and help them succeed in their digital manufacturing journey because we understand the digital manufacturing is a journey for our customer. No one is the same. Everyone starts at a different place in the journey because everyone of our customer has different objectives, different capabilities, different maturity level with regard to adoption of new technology. And to achieve that vision, basically I have a three pillar marketing strategy. So the first pillar is what I would call leading the market and creating awareness. And what I meant by that is leading the market by having a very strong point of view as to the future of production, uh, especially the future of production using 3D printing technology, showcasing kind of like how we can get there and what are HP's capabilities to help our customers get there. So that's the first pillar. And then the second pillar in the industrial world, we all know customer uh, success is very important because 
usually industrial customers are conservative. And even though they might be competing with someone else, but if they see one of their competitors uh, are able to achieve benefits by doing something new, they're usually pretty interested in learning more about that. And so my second pillar has something to do with showcasing customer successes. And basically what this is, is developing a program where we showcase, you know, all of our customer successes, the lessons learned, um, you know, applying for awards for them, because when they succeed, then the industry, their industry sees that they're succeeding, uh, developing case studies with them, putting them on speaking engagements, uh, join, you know, webinars, join presentation and so on and so forth. But it's all about showcasing how our customers are succeeding. And the last one is what I would call educating the market and creating demand. And this is what some people would call the classical demand, demand generation activities. However, of course, in the industrial world, we all know it's not like you do an activity and then you get a buyer. It's more about understanding the customers throughout their journey, you know, from the awareness to consideration to purchase, and sometimes even loyalty. If they're loyal, they will, you know, purchase more. And having the right multi-channel integrated marketing program to have the, uh, the right activities and the right content throughout their journey. So I would say um, the kind of industrial marketing that at least I do uh, encompass these three pillars. Yeah, well, and as somebody said, you, you love synthesis and listening and working with people. It makes sense that that is the exact path you took because I can't imagine a more fun challenge than synthesizing an emerging new tech into something that the marketplace can understand, start to succeed with, and then, you know, kind of build this whole complex journey around to communicate their needs. And uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. You love it when you start to work through like these origin stories to like, like current philosophies and how it all connects almost every time it does, you know, so, so thank you. That, that, that's, that's incredible. So you know, last couple of questions here. Obviously, this is this is part of our women transforming marketing um, and manufacturing series. And one of the things we really want to do is is provide women in the audience a, a really good perspective, um, you know, on how they can get into technology and manufacturing, you know, and and also kind of climb up the leadership ladder. Um, so we'd love to kind of ask you a couple of questions here to close out on that specifically. Um, you know, when you look at technology and manufacturing, especially in leadership ranks, you know, women are unfortunately in, in modern times and making strides underrepresented. So how do you think that we can change that and, and increase that where we can get where there is true diversity? Like you said, that's a huge part of a highly functioning team. How can we reach that future state as the greater manufacturing community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say there are, there are a couple things um, I would address that question, Colton. So the first, let's talk about the supply side. You know, I think uh, it all has to start with intellectual capital. And what I mean by that, I think from a very young age, girls need to be encouraged by, you know, parents, teachers, uh, their communities to study math and science, you know. And I think girls also need to know from a very young age that, it's kind of cool to be good in math and science and it's, it's not just for the boys. So recently I read some interesting statistics uh, according to the Society of Women Engineers uh, in grade school, about 60% of boys said that math and science were their favorite subjects. 
but only about 40% of girls said that math and science were their favorite subjects. And then when you go to universities and you look at the top five states in the United States that graduated the most female in engineering and STEM, the graduation is, rate is only about 20%. So if you look at the statistics, right, in order for us to address the supply side of the equation, we need to encourage more women to study math and science. And then I think in addition to that, women also need role models who are good in math and science. And not just at the aspirational level, I think you do need those aspirational role models, you know, people at the C-suite, the Nobel Prize winners, you know, the, the you know, kind of the great, you know, like the big uh, personalities and all that. But in addition to that, you also need people who are good in math and science who are just one or two steps ahead of you in their career for practical purposes. Because let's just be honest, if you're like an undergraduate uh, in math or science or engineering, your next step is probably not the C-suite, right? Your next step is probably graduate school or uh, applying, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a junior engineer somewhere. And so you need both role models. And then uh, let's also talk about the demand side. So we've talked about the supply side. The demand side, I think, of course, my perspective is more from companies, you know, from the commercial uh, side, uh, less from government or academia. But I think companies just need to be much more intentional uh, with regard to not just hiring these female talents, but actually having programs and having the culture in place in order to retain and develop the female talent. And what I have seen is companies who have the highest level of sponsorship and championship from their uh, boards, you know, uh, to the C-suite, to the uh, uh, CEO, executive team. I think those are the companies who can really have a program that is truly integrated within their culture and not just like a fringe program for women because it's a feel good. So I think in order to address all of your questions, I think we need to address both the supply side, the role model side, and also the demand side. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And I think, you know, just driving awareness and, and you know, going back to the women in manufacturing as an organization, some of the great things they're doing, it, it mm -hmm. seems like we're making great strides. You're starting to hear about these programs that are actually happening, you know, and, and like you said, to anchor it all, you know, high functioning teams are diverse, have multiple perspectives and, and we're better together, you know, so it's, 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 it's exciting that we get to have these conversations, you know, and I think it's going to make society and companies so much better. So, you know, thank you for the insights there, you know, and, and kind of the, the closing words of wisdom here, right. You know, it, it all kind of boils down to, to this is, you know, regardless of who they might be listening, if, if you're a young professional and you're interested in climbing up the leadership ladder, what are the closing words of wisdom you would have for those individuals? Oh, another, another great question. So closing word of wisdom, I would say uh, the first is to just realize life is a journey. I think we all can agree to that, right? It's, it's a journey. So you, you're in it for the long run. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So just realize that. Uh, there are a few guiding principles and I can share those with you guys. The first one is have a growth mindset and embrace change. Uh, if anything, the one thing I've learned, uh, the one thing that's constant in life is change. And so embrace change, have a growth mindset. The second, I think, is learn from our mistakes because 
I think some people want perfection, but the thing is, I think if you never make any mistakes, that means you're not stretching yourself uh, above or be, uh, beyond your comfort zones. And that can be the biggest mistakes of all. The third one is to celebrate small victories because sometimes people want to wait for the big glorious thing before they celebrate. But, you know, big glorious things don't happen that often in life. And so I think celebrate the little milestones, the little victories to remind you you're on the right on the right track. And then the fourth one is to have both good mentors and good sponsors. Um, I think most people understand the concept of mentorship. Basically, a mentor is someone that you connect with, you bounce off ideas. A mentor basically gives you good ideas. But a sponsor is someone uh, that is usually much more senior, much more powerful in the organization, who is willing to put his or her reputation on the line to help, earn, to help you earn the opportunity to get ahead. And so, you know, have both good mentors and good sponsors. And of course, as you become more developed in your career, also be mentors and sponsors for other people. And then the last one, Colin, that I just want to close with, um, and this is based on my own experience and especially after, you know, just looking back at my career, talking to a lot of young people these days, uh, you know, that I kind of mentor and sponsor as well, is to not just think about yourself, you know, because I think sometimes some young people these days, I think they focus way too much on their passion, which is, by the way, is important. Don't get me wrong. I think you ideally want to work in an area that you're passionate about. But most importantly, don't just focus on that, but think of how you can combine that passion, which is what you love, with your skills, which is what you're good at, because let's be honest, sometimes you can be passionate about something, but you may not be good at it. But think of how you can combine that passion with your skills. And I think most importantly is with your purpose, which is, you know, what, what are you contributing something more to society? And I think if you can find the intersection of all three, I think it's really great. Absolutely. You know, that, that... That almost like beautiful alignment because, you know, you're always going to have one of those three things if, if they're in alignment that are going to get you through those tough times. Mm -hmm. you know, so, yeah, Sunita, I know, you know, we, we're already a little over, but this has been an extremely inspiring conversation spanning everything from emerging tech to marketing to leadership to empowering women in manufacturing, which is you know, really what we're trying to, to accomplish with this series. So, you know, we truly appreciate the time. I know the audience is going to get a ton of value out of this. Um, you know, and again, we can't say thank you enough. You know, this is a great conversation and appreciate you making the time for it. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Colton. And hopefully uh, what I've shared can be uh, bits of, you know, useful information for the audience. Absolutely. So, Thank you so much, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be following up soon. And to the audience, talk to you soon.